Hey, how you guys doing, citizens? Yes, I am not Sam. I know that, okay? Uh, if you're new with us, welcome. My name is Jordan. Uh, we are glad to have you. If you are new and you've never seen me before, you're probably wondering why high schooler is up here. All right? I'm not in high school, I promise you. But believe it or not, for the past four weeks, I've literally had someone ask me what high school I go to. It blows my mind. Uh, I don't have any facial hair, but I promise you I am not in high school. I'm actually about to graduate Multnomah in a week, so I assure you um, that I'm not that young. But if you are um, a regular here, uh, you're probably wondering where Sam is. Sam, is he's, he was gone at a conference. I think he'll be back soon. Uh, but he's like, hey, Jordan, do you want to preach on April 27th? And I was like, absolutely. Um, so I want to give you guys a background, a little bit of background about me. Uh, I've been coming here to Citizens for about two and a half years now. And uh, we exist as, a, as citizens to um, grow as a community and learn to live for Jesus. And I feel like as I've been serving here and learning with you guys, I feel like I've grown as, as, with you guys as a community. And so it's, it really is a privilege to be up here. I, I genuinely love you guys, and uh, I'm excited to teach you guys what I've been learning. So in saying that, let's get right into it. Today we're going to be in Psalms 13. So if you guys want to open up to Psalms 13... Um, before we get into this, though, I kind of want to talk about um, what this psalm is about. And today we're going to be talking about a more heavy subject. Today we're going to be talking about suffering. And before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys about someone I know who's close to me who has firsthand experience with some suffering. That person is my mom. So my mom, about three years ago, she acquired this thing called Lyme disease. And the doctor said she'd have it for three months. Three months turned into uh, three years. And now they're saying she's going to have it probably for the rest of her life. And so this disease that you get, it happened, it's transmitted through a tick. So if a tick bites you and it has the disease, you get it. And so she got it. And what it does is, is very painful physically. Uh, your muscles ache, your joints ache, even your nerves ache. And my mom, if she's not on heavy narcotics, she literally can't get out of bed. Uh, it's that bad. And I remember last week, she came to my school, and we, we chatted it up a little bit, trying to prepare, prepare for this week, asking her some things, and learning about it more. And I remember leaving that car, and I looked at my mom, and I was like, all right, I'll see you later. And I remember as I walked away, man, I, I just lost it. Like, tears came down my eyes. I, I just, I couldn't handle it. Because seeing my mom, someone I love so much, go through that much pain and agony physically for that long, it just, it hurts. It really does. It hurts to see someone you love suffer. And so I remember leaving that car, man, seeing her, and I just lost it. And I want to paint you guys a clear picture of my mom's life before she got the disease. And I want to paint a picture clearly of how she is, how her life is after she got the disease presently. And in order to accomplish that, I'm going to read you guys some quotes that she said. Quotes that she would say before she had this disease. Things that she would say to our family, to our friends. Is this on? Check. Things that she would say. And then I want to read you guys some quotes. Things that she would say after she got the disease. And I want you guys to see the contrast, the difference. And so I'm going to read you guys some of the things that she would say pre-disease. She would say things like, I love you. How can I pray for you? How can I serve in the church? I love your father more now than I did 25 years ago. I am sorry for what I did. How can I make it better? I had an amazing conversation today with a coworker about God. 
I want to tell you what I learned during my quiet time this morning. And so you get this picture, right, that my mom, she's living a decent life. It's like she's cruising down the highway, 60 miles an hour, the sun's out, and she's a pretty good person. Now, I know, like, she's a sinner, she needs Jesus, but you get the point. She loves the Lord, she loves her family, so for the most part, she's a pretty good person. And it's almost like she's driving, right, 60 miles an hour down this road, and it's almost like she just hits a brick wall, and instantly she gets whiplash. And she's like, this disease just hits her out of nowhere and literally rocks her world. And so I, and I asked her, I asked her last week, I said, Mom, can I uh, share some of these quotes uh, on Wednesday when I talk? And these are very vulnerable, transparent quotes, so I want to be um, sensitive to that. Um, so in saying that, uh, let me read you guys some of the quotes she would say after she got the disease. She said, I want to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. I want God to take me home. Why is this journey causing me to doubt God? How long do I have to endure before I have my life back? I did all the right things and followed all the rules, so why is this happening to me? You look at this story and you see the contrast, right? My mom, she's not at that place anymore where she wants God to take her home. But the first year she had this disease, she couldn't leave her bed for about a year. And she got to a point where she said, this suffering is so bad that I want God to take me home. She literally said that to me. And as a son, that breaks my heart. And today, I, I don't tell you guys this story. I don't tell you guys this story so on a Wednesday night we can come here and, I know this sounds bad, but throw a pity party for my mom. Right? I don't come here and say, this is what's wrong with my mom. Let's throw a pity party and be sympathetic. And the reason why I tell you guys this story is because I want to point out a reality that we all have to face. A reality that looks us right in the face every single day. And some people will look at this reality and they'll say, I don't want to accept that that's the world I live in. A reality that my mom had to stare straight in the face, that our family had to look straight in the face and say, wow, I accept that this is the world I live in. So what is that reality? Why do I tell this story? The point of this story, the reality that all of us someday, maybe you face it already, that we have to face and say, that is the world I live in, is this. That bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. My mom's a pretty good person for the most part, and this bad thing happened to her. <laughs> the reality is, is that suffering doesn't care who you are. It doesn't. It doesn't care who you are, what family you're in, what skin color you are, what gender. Suffering does not care. And so today, we're going to be talking about how do we suffer? How do you go about suffering? Notice, we're not answering the question of why we suffer. Why don't we answer the why? Funny you ask. We don't answer the why because we don't know why. We don't know why we suffer. I don't know why my mom got this Lyme disease. I don't know the student who committed suicide three weeks ago. I don't know why that happened. I don't know. But I do know this is that as his parents and his friends are weeping for him, Jesus is there weeping with them. At the funeral, Jesus is there weeping with everyone. I don't know why we suffer, but I know that Jesus suffers with us. And so today we're looking at the how do we suffer. As a Christian, how do you go about suffering? Because it's going to happen. When your parents are going through a divorce or they're fighting, how do you suffer through that? 
How do you suffer when the place that you feel like you should go home and it should be a safe haven is really a war zone and it feels like that? How do you suffer when you get into a dating relationship and you get so emotionally invested in that that your heart gets elevated to a place so high and then the moment you break up, it's like someone takes a knife and cuts that rope and your heart falls to the core of the earth and you just feel hopeless? How do you suffer when you feel like you're the only one at school trying to live out your faith and it seems like all these people, sometimes even your friends, are trying to pull you away from God? How do you suffer when you're going through depression? How do you suffer? And so that's what we're going to look at in Psalms 13. And David, who wrote the Psalms, this is a guy who has firsthand experience with suffering. This is a guy who's much like you guys, as much like me, as much like us citizens here, much like my mom, because he's going through suffering. He's a good person. He's a man after God's own heart. And yet there's a man, King Saul, who's literally chasing David, trying to kill him. So you can't say the guy writing this isn't going through a lot because he's fleeing for his life. And so when we look at Psalm 13, David, just like us in here, just like my mom, is going through suffering. Maybe a different severity level, I don't know. But he's going to tell us how to suffer. So let's look at that. We'll go in Psalms 13, and we'll go through all six verses today. He starts off by saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In this first section, we see that suffering is more like a marathon than a sprint. Suffering is more like a marathon than a sprint. There's two things that we can take away from this first section. The first is that we have permission to suffer. We, li- we have permission to experience pain. David is going through suffering, and it's not like he's talking to God and holding it all in and saying, you know what, uh, I'm going through suffering, but I have a lot of questions, but I'm just going to suppress that because it's not okay to suffer. It's not okay to experience this grief and this confusion. And so we see from the get-go that these questions show us that when we're going through suffering, We don't have to suppress that and say, is it okay for me to feel this way? Man, when I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one, of a family member, and I have all these questions and doubts, do I have to throw those out because those are wrong? No, he's saying these questions reveal to us that we have permission to experience pain. We have permission to suffer, and sometimes we need to hear that. The second thing we see is the duration of suffering. He says the phrase, how long? four times. He says, how long will you forget me? How long will I I, I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemies pursue me? How long? And we see that the suffering is more like a marathon than a sprint. Have you guys ever played that game where you drive through a tunnel and you have to hold your breath? You guys played that? So there's times where I drive to a new place, right? And if you don't know the place, you don't know how long that tunnel is going to be. And so there will be times where I go there and I hold my breath and I'm going through the tunnel. And sometimes tunnels aren't like just straight, right? They're a little curved. And so as you're driving around the tunnel, you're holding your breath. The moment you breathe, the game's over. You lose. And so you're driving through the tunnel and you're like, is this going to end? I can't hold my breath any longer. And so you keep holding your breath. Your lungs start to burn. You're like, how much longer is this this tunnel going to keep going until there's some light, till I can breathe again? 
And David is saying, right now, I'm in a tunnel of suffering, holding my breath, and my lungs are starting to burn, and I'm starting to get lightheaded, God. And if you don't give me some sort of relief, I'm going to pass out at the wheel, and I'm going to crash and burn. And so we're going to look at the three questions that David asked. The first is towards God. The second is towards himself. The third is towards others, his enemies. So let's look at the questions. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David doesn't feel that God's with him. He feels that God has abandoned him. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned him. It just feels that he has. David's going through this immense suffering, running for his life, and the weight of the suffering is making him feel like all he can feel is the suffering. It's like he, he doesn't feel that Christ is with him anymore. Do you guys ever feel like that? Right? It's like you guys go to winter camp or we go to summer camp or you get baptized or you come here on a Wednesday night and you hear a message and you respond and it's almost like you feel God on an emotional level and you feel that and you're like, man, this feels good. I can feel God's love for me and I love him back. And then when life happens and suffering happens, it's as if you don't feel that anymore. It's as if that love that you felt at summer camp, that spiritual high that you had, is gone. And you're wondering, God, where are you? You know, I used to wear sunglasses a lot. I don't anymore just because I don't know why I don't like them. But I used to wear them all the time. And when I'd go outside and it was hot out, sometimes I'd be like, dude, i got to find my glasses. Where are they? And so I'm searching and I'm looking and I'm like, are they under here? Nope. Are they in my pocket? And then I would look in my car. I'd look everywhere. Like, where are my sun? I need my sunglasses. And then I, sometimes I'll stop and I'll be like, okay. Oh, they're on my head. They were there the whole time. Do you guys ever do that? Man, that happened to me all the time. I would search for my sunglasses. I'd be like, where are they? And the whole time they were on my head. I just, I just forgot they were there. And because suffering is more like a marathon than a sprint, when we give our lives to God, it's like we feel him. And because of the duration of suffering, there are times where we're looking and we're like, God, where are you? I'm suffering. Where, I don't feel you anywhere. Where, where's your presence? I used to feel it. It's gone. Where are you? Right? Because suffering is more like a marathon than a sprint. And so we see that David has questions towards God. And now we'll see the second set of questions that he has about himself. In verse 2, he says, How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all day. Man, David is experiencing head and heart pain. <laughs> he can get away from his enemies, right? Saul's pursuing him with his men. And David's hiding. He's away from his enemies, right? He's safe. But think about it. He's saying, I I'm struggling. I got these thoughts in my head that I can't get out. My heart is heavy. I'm having grief and sorrow. I can't escape myself. Sometimes you can escape school, maybe you can leave your home for, for a while, but the one person you can never escape is yourself. And so David here is suffering, and he feels the weight of it. He's saying, God, I don't know where you're at. And on top of that, now it's like I'm wrestling within myself with these thoughts. I, I can't comprehend these things. I'm trying to justify other things. I'm confused. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. And so he's feeling the weight of that. Do you guys ever feel like that? Like when you're going through suffering, it's like you're the only one that you can go to. Or when you're trying to get away from the world, it's like you're alone, but you're still wrestling against yourself. It's like you're your own worst enemy at times. 
And so we see already kind of the weight of suffering and how serious it is. Let's look at the last set of questions. David says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Man, David feels like he's being oppressed by his enemies. So not only does he feel like God's abandoned him, and not only does he have this head and this heart struggle, but on top of that, he feels like other people are oppressing him. It's like at school when you go there and you feel like you're the only one trying to live out your faith, and everyone's trying to push you down. And some of you are like me. Some of you have a family where you go there and they're Christians and they help build you up and they have a good marriage. But others of you, you go home and it's like it's a war zone, like we said earlier. It's like you go there and the one place that you should be able to freely share your faith and grow in even there, it's like you have to hide that from your parents. Or they don't even help you get here or support you coming here. Man, sometimes the weight of the world just feels like it's pushing us down. And David right now. He's saying, God, I'm in this tunnel. I'm trying to get out of it. It's dark. I'm holding my breath. My lungs are burning. God, you have to help me. If you don't, I'm going to break. I'm going to crash. And sometimes when we go through suffering, it's like we're in that tunnel, and we need God to give us some hope to show us a light. And so I know what you're thinking. You guys might be thinking, well, Jordan, this is great, but how does this apply to me? Because I'm not like David. I'm not having someone pursue me and try to kill me. My suffering is not on that level of severity. And I hope it's not, right? But the point of this isn't to show that all suffering will be as severe as David's as much as it is to show the inevitability of suffering that is going to happen. And so what do we do? We see that suffering is more like a marathon than a sprint. So suffering demands something because it is so long. The duration is so much. It demands something. Let's see what suffering demands. In verses 3 through 4, it says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken Suffering demands help. Suffering demands help. When life is good, you don't feel the need to cry out for help. When life is going well, you don't feel the need to say, God, I need your help. But when life is going bad, when it's going downhill, when suffering happens, you realize that suffering highlights your need for help. It highlights the necessity that you have to call out for help. You know, in this room... There's two types of people and then anything in between. Most of you in here, most of us live in the Vancouver and Camas area. And there's two types of people. There's the type of person on this side who when they go home, right, that family is financially well off for the most part. Um, They help you. They support you. You don't have to work a whole lot. Uh, They have a healthy marriage. They're still together. Um, It's a a healthy environment. It's self-sustaining. It's self-sufficient. And so that's the type of group, and I'm in that group. I'm not looking down on this group at all or the other group. I'm using this as an illustration, and I'm in this group. And this is the, sometimes a dangerous group to be in because life is going so well that, that we don't see the need for help. We don't see it, right? And then there's the other side, 
that they see the need for help. This is a side that they go home and maybe their family life is just very dysfunctional, it's unhealthy, maybe they're only living with one parent, financially it's very difficult to stay on their feet and you actually have to work to provide for yourself. This is the type of group that you realize your need for help because life isn't all good and it isn't easy. And so you realize that, man, the suffering you're going through, the difficulties that you're going through demands help. And you could be anywhere in between. And so we see that suffering demands help. David says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He says, light up my eyes. (laughs) David's going through that tunnel, and his lungs are burning so bad, and his his head is is lightheaded, and he's starting to black out a little bit. And he's saying, God, if you don't light up my eyes, if you don't show me the end of this tunnel, I'm not going to hold my breath anymore, and I'm going to pass out, and I'm going to crash and die. He says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. That word lest just means or else. God, if you don't do this, then this will happen. In other words, God, open up my eyes or else I will sleep the sleep of death or else my enemy will prevail over me or else my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David's saying, God, help me. This suffering is getting too much. And if you don't save me, my own thoughts, my own heart, the, the thought and the feelings that you aren't with me and my enemies at school, at home, on my, my team, whatever it is, I'm not going to make it out of this tunnel and I'm going to crash and burn. And so what do we do? How do we respond? Because we're seeing, right, that suffering is pretty serious. It's more like a marathon than a sprint, and because of that, it demands help. So how do we suffer? How do we go about suffering? We'll find our answer in the next two verses. David says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The goodness of God trumps the ugliness of suffering. The goodness of God trumps the ugliness of suffering. Notice how verse 5 starts. He says the word but. For the past four verses, it's like we're going this way. And then all of a sudden in verse 5, he's like, but, and and we just switch directions. In other words, he's saying, okay, read verse 1 through 4, verse 5, but, and he's like, okay, zoom into the page. Really pay attention now. Take, Take note of everything that was just said that you read But now you really need to pay attention because this is important. And this is what he says. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. David says, look it, I've gone through an immense amount of suffering. I'm crying out to you, God. But in the midst of all that, I'm trusting in your love, your steadfast love. That word steadfast means that that love does not run out. It doesn't move. It means that when the winds come in from wherever it is, the difficulties of life, from family, from friends, to school, from your personal life, and those winds are blowing everything out of your life, God's love stays in the middle of that storm. It does not move. You know those days where you're just feeling down? And it's like a little drop of love. If someone just shows you a little bit of love, it like makes the whole day better. God doesn't give us just a drop of love. It's like he gives us the entire ocean full of love. And David says, God, in the middle of my suffering, 
the goodness of who you are, the goodness of your love, trumps the ugliness of my suffering. I can look to that. And then he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. This word salvation, what does that mean, right? Does it mean that when you're going through suffering and your parents are, are fighting or divorced, does it mean that when you rejoice in God's salvation that they're going to get back together and your family is going to be fixed and healthy again? Does it mean that when you have questions for God, it's like, God, I trust in your salvation, and it's almost as if all your questions are answered or they go away? Or when you're going through depression and you feel sad and hopeless and you feel anxiety and stress, does it mean, God, when I trust your salvation, all those things go away? No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that the pain you experience and the questions go away when you say, God, I trust you and I trust in your salvation. That word salvation, right, there's times in this life where God does heal and he does mend and he does bring back together and heal and restore and make new again. But with my mom, she looks at this verse and she says, God, I rejoice in your salvation. But the reality is with my mom, for the next 30 years, she may not experience saving from this disease. Does that mean that God's a liar? Absolutely not. But what that means is for my mom, death is no longer the end of the sentence. It's a comma. And the end of the sentence is eternal life with Jesus. That salvation she experiences we got to get this. The salvation that she experiences may not happen in this time, in the next 30 years. But when she passes from this life, she's going to experience salvation so great that she will never have to experience any sort of effect of sin or disease or hurt or pain for the next 30 billion years. And there's times in our life now where God does save. He does heal. When you go through a breakup, God does heal your heart. When you lose a loved one, you grieve over that. And God will heal that. But at the same time, there's things in our life that we go through, and they may not get fixed 100%. But when we go on to the next life, we experience salvation by spending eternity with Jesus. Because the goodness of God trumps the ugliness of suffering. David says, God, I trust in your love. I rejoice in your salvation. And look at his response. This is so profound. Look at his response. David says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David sings to God. David is in the midst of being pursued by an enemy trying to kill him. He stops in the middle of that, in the ugliness of his suffering, and sings about the goodness of God. He sings. It's not like he says, God, uh, you're good. I appreciate you for all you do and your character and your love. He sings about it. I'm graduating college in about a week and a half. Four years, actually 21 years I've been waiting for this moment. For the past four years, I put in a lot of hard work, right? I've gone through a lot. From age 18 to 21, you go through a lot of stuff, you're developing. And so for the four years, I've had the hope of knowing that eventually I'm going to graduate, and here it comes, graduation, but you will not see me singing, all right? You're not, I'm not super joyful right now I'm, I, that I'm going to elevate my excitement, my joy to a place where I'm going to sing about it. I'm going to be like, hey, you guys want to go grab a bite to eat and we'll celebrate? Like, that's about it, right? I don't take a ton of comfort knowing I graduate all the four years leading up. It's joyous, but it's not, it's not making me so joyful and so content and so comforted that I'm going to sing about it. And yet David is singing to God. 
He's saying in the ugliness of my suffering, man, your goodness, God, it trumps that to a level so high. Man, because his suffering's up here, right? But God's goodness is like way up there. Oh, gosh, that just happened. But, uh, and so because of the goodness of God, he sings. He sings. It's not like he just says, God, God, you're good, but he sings because of that. In the midst of his suffering. And so what do we do, right? Citizens, what do we do? We see that suffering is more like a marathon than a sprint. We see that suffering demands help. And we see that the goodness of God trumps the ugliness of suffering. So how do we suffer? To bring it back to that question. How do we suffer? In the midst of suffering, there has to be some sort of comfort, some sort of place of comfort that we can go to, of hope that we have in the midst of that. Or else we're going to hold our breath and we're not going to make it out of the tunnel and we're going to crash and we're going to burn. And what we realize today is that comfort, hear me, comfort is not a luxury for good people. It is a product of a good God. Comfort is not a luxury for good people. It is a product of a good God. What does comfort mean? Right? Does it mean the pain and the questions go away in the middle of suffering? Not at all. But it means that that hope, that comfort, that joy that you have remains because you're trusting the goodness of God in the midst of your suffering. It means that you have hope of God's salvation and his love. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I feel bad. My, my heart breaks for people who don't have a relationship with Christ. Why is that? It's because those people, suffering is worthless for them. Think about it. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you haven't surrendered your life to him, and you go through suffering, where does your comfort come from? It's not a luxury for good people. Think about it. If your comfort comes from being a good person or having good circumstances, and you're standing on that foundation, the moment that you realize you're flawed and imperfect and you mess up, the moment that your money or your relationships um, mess up or whatever happens in your life that's bad, that foundation is ripped underneath you and all your hope is gone and you're not going to make it out of the tunnel because you have no hope. You have nowhere to put comfort in. Man, comfort is not a luxury for good people. It is a product of a good God. I want to show you guys something. This rope, right? This is a big rope. I want you guys to imagine for a second that this rope represents all eternity. Obviously, the rope would go on forever and it would never end. But for the sake of the analogy, look at how long that rope is. But look at the very end here. This little tiny red line. This little red line right here represents our lives. If we look at the big perspective of life, eventually our lives will end. And compared to all eternity, it's going to be so small. And so for my mom, right, she's in here. And I don't know how long that this red line is going to go. I don't know when it's going to end. But right now, she's going through suffering, and she's experiencing the ugliness of suffering, and, and she's experiencing that it's more like a marathon than a sprint. 
And in the middle of this, right, she's in here somewhere, and she's saying, God, I, I'm taking comfort in your goodness, in your salvation, in the goodness of who you are, not the ugliness that's in here, not the ugliness of the suffering. And what she can say in the middle of this, in the midst of being here, wherever you're at, and if you're suffering, and you're in here, and you're saying, how do I find comfort? Well, my mom can say, what we can say is that, we may not experience salvation in terms of being relieved of this physical disease that everyone we love will live forever, but that in the midst of that, we can have hope because when this red line ends and we have a relationship with Christ, we experience salvation for eternity. The rest of this rope, right? The rest of that rope is salvation. And the very pain that my mom experienced here, the very suffering that we experience in this life, if you say, God, I trust in who you are and your goodness, when you pass from this life to the next, it's a doorway that opens up to a place in eternity with Jesus where you never have to experience the pain that you experienced here, the suffering that you experienced in, in this life. And so my mom, she may have a disease for the next 30 years, but she knows that when she goes from this life to the next, she will spend the next 30 trillion years away from all disease and all sin with Jesus for all eternity. Comfort is not a luxury for good people. It is a product of a good God. How do you suffer? You have hope. You find comfort in who God is. And so how do we respond to this? How do we respond tonight to this message? And so we are a community, right? We're a community of students learning to live for Jesus. Part of that is that we're a community. And so when we go into a time of response and musical worship, we're going to have some of the youth staffers, if you guys want to head to the back, if you just want prayer and you're going through something right now or you want someone to talk to or you have questions or you just want someone to have a listening ear, man, talk to me, talk to a leader in the back. We'd love to talk and pray with you. And the second way we're going to respond is through musical worship. Right? David says, God, your goodness trumps the ugliness of suffering. And because of who you are, because of your goodness, I'm going to worship you through song. And he sings to God. And so we're going to mirror that response tonight by singing to God. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know on what end of the spectrum you're suffering. If it's super extreme or it's a little bit, we all have things going on, right? Myself included. But whatever it is, in the midst of that right now, we can take the next couple of songs to sing to God in the midst of that and say, God, I'm going through suffering. It's difficult. It's painful. But you know what? The goodness of who you are trumps the ugliness of my suffering. And because of that, I can sing to you. So let's pray, and then we will go to a time of musical response. Dear God, I just thank you so much for, for your word and uh, just the, the truth in Psalms 13. I just pray that whatever we're going through in here, man, you know every one of our lives and our hearts and where we're at, but whatever it is, God, I pray that in the midst of that suffering when we're in that tunnel and we feel like we can't breathe and we're, we're losing our breath and we're going to crash and we burn, I just pray that you will you give us comfort and relief and hope. And I pray for whoever is in here that's hurting, as they say, God, I'm going to trust in the goodness of who you are. 
in the middle of that suffering, God. And I pray that the suffering doesn't trump the goodness of you, but the goodness of who you are trumps the ugliness of that suffering. And I pray that we can take comfort and we can find hope in that. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are and what you did on the cross, God. We love you and we pray your name. Amen.